This is so cool to actually um, be up here and to be able to see all of your guys' faces today, which is pretty awesome. I got to say, we've uh, the mask mandate um, ended a couple weeks ago, and some of you guys, I haven't seen what your faces have looked like for about two years <laughs> through a global pandemic, so kind of cool. Um, it's uh, Oh, wow, it's really cool to see Pastor Cheryl Curlew and Tim here today. Can we welcome them? Great seeing you guys. Love you guys. Um, I just want to let you know, for those of you who know me, you know this. For those of you who don't know me as well, you probably don't. But uh, my wife, Julie, and I are uh, pretty introverted as people. So um, if, if you've you know, been coming the last um, you know, recent year with, uh, with COVID and all the stuff that's going on and, um, and, and we don't know you and we haven't connected, we, we would love to get to know you more. I know in your seats uh, in front of you guys, most of you should have uh, one of these cards here that says, thanks for joining us today. We would love your information if you haven't done that yet. And you can just drop that in the back, um, in the, in the offering box back there. And, uh, even if you'd love to connect for dinner or something like that, we would love to get to know some of you guys better. So that's usually a little bit hard for me with my personality, but, um, we're so excited you're here and I just want you to know that. And guess what? You picked a great week to come. If it's your first time here, first time back in a while, first time joining us online, it's an awesome week to be here because um, during this new season, this season of, of Lent, we're starting a new series. And this series is called Soul Detox, where we're going to be examining um, some of the monsters of the heart. And we're going to talk about this big word, and that word is forgiveness. And the topic of forgiveness can be a difficult topic for a lot of people. I mean, I mean, we're all for forgiveness when we're receiving it, right? That's a good thing when you get forgiveness. Like if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're with us and you consider yourself a Christian, we are super grateful for the forgiveness offered us by God through his son Jesus. We're like, thank you, God for your amazing grace, for forgiving me of my sins, for, for the sacrifice that, that Jesus made on the cross for me. I mean, Easter is just around the corner, and we really focus in during this time of year on remembering and celebrating that gift of forgiveness during Easter. We're also grateful when people forgive us. I'm sure all of us have probably done something wrong in our life, or we've, we've hurt someone that we've loved, or maybe as a kid we broke something. And when our parents forgave us, when that person who we love, or who we hurt, said they forgave us, it was, it was like a huge weight just kind of came off of our shoulders. But when it comes to forgiving others, sometimes that's not so easy, is it? And why is that? Well, today we're going to begin this discussion on this topic of forgiveness, and we're going to try to answer that question. And as we're doing that, we're going to look somewhere very specific for a solution. We're going to look at the heart. See, the heart is different than any other part of the body because you can't always see what's happening, what's going on in your heart. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm talking about the heart in a spiritual sense right now, but even as we look at the heart as a physical organ in our body, when we have a physical health issue with our heart, it's often hard to tell because it manifests itself in so many different ways and so many other symptoms. I mean, you could have shortness of breath, right? And you think, well, maybe this is, this is a lung problem, a breathing problem. Or you could feel the sensation of heartburn, and you think, well, maybe it's a digestive problem. Or you could have some numbness in an arm or a leg, and you're thinking, you know, this might be a circulation problem. But then after you go to your physician and they run some tests, they say, no, 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 we've actually discovered that it's a heart issue. 
But, but the thing is, when you open the scriptures and when you see what the Bible says about the heart, you find a very, very similar line of thinking where all throughout scripture, when God talks about a person having a bad heart or somebody struggling with an evil heart spiritually, that it manifests itself in a multitude of different ways. I mean, it can affect the things that a person says, but it's not just a speech problem. It can affect the way a person acts but it's not just a behavioral problem. No, it's much more than that. It's a heart problem. And oftentimes we think, well, no, I just gotta work on being better about what I say. I've gotta change what I say. I've gotta filter my words better. I've just gotta modify my behaviors a little bit more. But it's not just about what you say or what you do. Because what you say and what you do comes from somewhere. It comes from your heart. And until you're able to deal with this underlying issue, you could spend your whole life trying to censor and trying to filter and trying to put rules around what you say and what you do, but you will never actually address the root cause. I mean, I mean, have you ever had this happen where you just said something in a moment and then you covered your mouth and you're like, I can't believe that I just said that. Where did that come from, right? And maybe somebody was listening and they were like, whoa, I can't believe you just said that. That is so unlike you. And you're like, I know. I don't even know where that came from. And God is like, I do. It came from your heart. You've just gotten really, really good at filtering your words and filtering your behaviors all the time. See, most of us have been trained from a really young age to filter. We have to watch our words. We have to watch and regulate our behaviors so we don't get in trouble at home or at school or then later as we grow up at work. And then when we get really, really tired, when we're exhausted, or when we're really stressed out, something can slip past those filters, and we're shocked, and we think, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just did that. But guess what? Actually, it's been there all along. Why? Because it's coming from your heart. That's why many of us here, we have behaviors we have private habits or addictions that nobody else knows about. And if people were to discover it, they would think, I can't believe you do that. That is so uncharacteristic of you. And you'd think, well, actually, if you really knew me, you would know that happens a couple times a week. Why? Because it's in your heart. And we get away with this in large part because we're so good at covering our behaviors. And we're so good at putting up filters with the casual people in our life, the people we work with, the people we go to school with, the people we hang out with. But the people who know us best, the people who are closest to us, the people who we live with and who love us, they will occasionally get a glimpse of what lies underneath as it slips past all of our filters and they experience the overflow of our heart. Don't believe me? If you're a parent here today or watching today, ask your kids. They see it. This is why women, you might have a girlfriend who tells you something about her husband and you're like, your husband did that? I've been around your husband. That doesn't seem like your husband. And she's like, oh, you ought to try living with him, right? You know what she's really saying? She's saying that what's inside his heart leaks out at home. It might not come out on the golf course. It might not come out at dinner. It might not come out at church, but it comes out at home when he's tired, when he's stressed, 
when his defenses are down and his filters are down. You wouldn't believe what's in my husband. You wouldn't believe what's in my wife. You wouldn't believe what comes out of my child. And as much as we want to cover up our heart, it has the tendency of exposing itself to the people in our lives we live with and we care about the most. And consequently, we hurt those the most that we love the most. But the good news is there's a solution. Scripture gives us some incredible solution to this problem. And like any kind of medical solution or or heart surgery, this solution, though, requires work. And it can be painful. But the solution is one that can bring about real permanent change in our lives as we begin to truly honor God with all of our heart instead of just filtering words and filtering behaviors. See, the great thing about Christianity is that our Heavenly Father loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to offer us real change through a new life and a personal relationship with him, not merely a change in our behaviors and a change in our words, but to actually change us from the inside out, to change our heart through a relationship with him, to make us a new creation in Christ. And so that's what we're going to unpack today as we look at some of these kind of monsters of the heart. And, and we focus in on, on how do we really have a soul detox of the heart. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. That's where we're going to hang out a little bit today, Matthew chapter 15. As always, we'll put the verses up on the screens as well. But Matthew 15, it's really a dialogue between Jesus and some of the religious leaders, See, see, Jesus had gotten himself into a predicament that he often found himself in where he had broken some of these rules that these religious leaders had placed and and they challenged him on it. They said, hey, you claim to be a holy person. You claim to be somebody from God and yet you just broke one of our God-given laws. So try explaining that, Jesus. Now, in actuality, Jesus hadn't really broken a law of God, but he would break these man-made laws that these religious leaders had set up to keep people from actually breaking God's law. Let me explain it this way. God gave the law to Moses. During this time of year, there's a a movie that always comes on with Charlton Heston, Let My People Go, right? You know the name of the movie. What's the name of the movie? Shout it out, church. The Ten Commandments, right? So God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. And as time went by, the religious leaders became so afraid that the people would break the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, that they decided that they were going to add laws to the Ten Commandments to prevent people from ever breaking the Ten Commandments. And they wound up over time adding 600 plus more laws to the law of Moses to keep people from breaking the law of Moses. It's kind of like if you came from a church background, maybe you can relate to this. When when I started attending church, and I didn't grow up in a Christian home, my parents immigrated from India. I grew up in a Hindu home, and I became a Christian in middle school when my best friend kept inviting me to church, and I, I came to know Christ. But in the church that I grew up in, I was taught that you shouldn't watch movies or dance or play cards. Have any of you ever heard that before? You shouldn't watch movies or dance or play cards. And and so as I would deal cards to my friends at church camp, 
I would ask the question, why again are we not supposed to be playing cards? And they would laugh and they would be like, I don't know, but I, I think Christians aren't supposed to play cards. Okay, and then we'd play cards. So, and if you heard that one growing up, that you shouldn't play cards, show of hands, a lot of you guys. Okay, okay, you've heard that before. Do you guys know where that came from? Let, let me give you a little breakdown. This is kind of where that came from. Way, way back in early American Christianity, it was thought that a lot of crime and a lot of debauchery was happening in places like bars and saloons. And in those places, oftentimes, there was gambling. And so at first, it was taught that Christians shouldn't gamble. And then that became Christians shouldn't play cards because oftentimes, Cards were used in gambling. And so playing with cards could then lead someone to gambling and could lead someone to other forms of sin and debauchery. It was a rule to keep people from breaking a rule. And I don't even fully get the whole Christians shouldn't gamble ever because every day I get in my car and with the way some of you drive, I feel like I'm gambling with my life when I'm out on the road, but that's a whole different sermon for another day. But see, it's easy to come up with rules to try to stop people from breaking other rules, right? We, we do this in our home all the time. You remember maybe growing up and you're sitting in the living room with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and maybe your mom's you know, hanging out in the kitchen and, and you had a basement in your house and you, and you say, hey, let's go down to the basement and we'll watch a movie. And you go down to the basement and you turn on a movie and you turn off the light. And as soon as you turn off the light, it's like, whoa, time out. What's going on? No, you didn't. And mom would yell from the top of the stairs, you better turn that light back on because there is a rule in this house, thou shalt not watch a movie in the basement in the dark, right? And by the way, thou shalt not share a blanket on the couch. In fact, let me come down there with the ruler and make sure the two of you are 12 inches apart. And you're like, wait a minute, mom, what are you talking about? We turn the lights off in our house all the time when we're watching a movie. In fact, the other night, we were watching a family movie downstairs, and you yelled at me and told me to turn off the lights so you could see the picture better. And now you're saying, don't turn off the lights. What's up with that? See, what mom did was she whipped out, she created a rule to keep you from breaking a rule. She didn't want you messing around with your girlfriend or your boyfriend in the basement in the dark. So if you keep the lights on, It'll keep you as a guardrail from messing around in the dark. So the issue wasn't turning the lights off. The issue was messing around in the basement. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, the religious leaders had over 600 of these kinds of rules and laws, and they would challenge Jesus and his followers if they broke one of these man-made rules. So check this out, Matthew 15, picking up in verse 1. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do you and your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, before any parents get too excited and say, that's awesome, I'm gonna drop that on my kids tonight. The Bible says, kids, wash your hands before you eat or you're gonna burn in hell. Don't do that, by the way, okay, it wouldn't be good. It's a little bit different than that. We actually talked about this passage of scripture a few months ago on the topic of baptism, if you guys remember when we talked about baptism. But this is a little bit different. In the law, the priests were required to do these ceremonial hand washings from the tips of their fingers all the way down to their elbows, kind of like a surgeon before surgery. And they would do this um, so they wouldn't contaminate anything that they had touched before that might have been unclean. And as time went by, the Pharisees decided they were going to apply that rule not just to the priests, but to everybody. 
And so the Jewish people were told to do these washings, these ceremonial washings before they ate. But this was never part of Moses' law. So apparently Jesus' disciples, you know, maybe they washed their hands, but they didn't do it in such a way that fully satisfied this rule from the religious leaders. And so Jesus ignores their question, and instead he starts to call them out on the evil in their heart. And he basically says this, he says, God's not nearly as concerned as unclean hands and what's going in your bodies as he is about what actually is coming out of your heart. Let's pick up in verse 17. This is what Jesus said. He said, don't you see that whatever enters your mouth goes into the stomach then comes out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth comes from the what, church? The heart. And these make a man unclean. Okay? Jesus says, you guys are so caught up in rules and rituals and when to bow and when to sit straight and what to eat. But God isn't nearly as concerned with what you're putting in as he is with what's actually coming out. Because what's coming out is coming from somewhere. It's coming from your heart. Whatever goes in your mouth, it gets digested, right? The good stuff is used by your cells in your body, and the bad stuff is waste, and it comes out. But what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart, and it has the potential to harm not just you, but the people around you, including the people you care about the most. Verse 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, these are what makes a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Now, what Jesus is teaching here is profound. He's saying that, that if you think what's pleasing to God is showing up to church on a Sunday and, and singing some songs and trying not to fall asleep during a 30-minute message, and God is applauding that, and he's going, bravo, good job, good job, Meanwhile, you live however you want the other six days of the week and you treat people around you like crap. Jesus says that you have no idea who God is if you believe that. And unfortunately, in many churches today, it's all about the event. Stand, sit, pray, repeat, occasionally take communion. Okay, now I get a star by my name. Now I can live however I want until next week. And to that, Jesus is going, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, time out. God is not into your religious ritual. God is far, far, far more moved by your heart and what you do in life. It's not about what goes in, it's about what is lived out. And the good news in all this is this, that God loves you so much that he came not to just lay on you a big list of rules and rituals, but he came to actually do heart surgery. He came to change your heart. So today I wanna to spend the rest of our time together looking at the real life application from this teaching. How do we combat some of the biggest monsters of the heart, if you will? And that if we're not careful, these monsters can impact what we do and what we say. We're gonna look at four monsters, four heart issues that if we don't address can become so destructive and so toxic inside of us. And you're never gonna experience true, real intimacy with God or the people around you in your life that you care about until, until 
you can face these monsters of the heart and defeat them. So you guys ready to unpack this? Okay, here we go. Here we go. And by the way, if you're here today and if you're dealing with any marriage issues right now, I can almost guarantee you that someone in the relationship is struggling with one or more of these heart issues. Here are the four monsters of the heart if you're taking notes. It's these. Guilt, greed, jealousy, and anger. Guilt, greed, jealousy, and anger. In fact, would you guys say those with me so this really sticks in your brain this morning on the count of three? One, two, three. Guilt, greed, jealousy, and anger. And here's why these four are such a problem. Let's unpack these. Number one, guilt. Guilt says this. Guilt says, I owe you. I hurt you. I lied to you. I stole from you. And I've never come clean on it. And as long as I owe you, there is always going to be this obstacle. There's always going to be this barrier between me and between you. And there's always going to be this barrier between me and between God because I can't be right with God and wrong with the people around me. You just can't. And we can try, and that's why we can oftentimes become very religious or, or ritualistic, and we hope that God gives us a, a gold star. But God is so, so clear about this throughout Scripture that you can't be wrong with people in your life that God has put around you and still be right with God. Why? Because people matter to God. People matter to God, and so they need to matter to us. The second one is this, and there's greed. Greed says, I owe me. Greed says, I owe me. I owe me everything that I've earned, and I owe me some of what you've earned too. And nothing's gonna stop me from getting what's mine. And some people around me, they might feel like they're secondary or they're a second-class citizen to my things and my stuff, but that's okay because I grew up with nothing, and I am not gonna ever live like that anymore. And if you're married to a greedy person, you know what that feels like. You know what it feels like to compete with a car or a house or a bank account. And if you're here today and you're a greedy person, let me tell you something about you. You're afraid. You're scared. You're chicken. Some of you are getting mad at me right now. But the underlying emotion to greed is really that. It's fear. You're afraid that God can't take care of you. And so you think you've done it all on your own. Now, nobody in here would probably admit to being greedy. If I asked all the greedy people to raise their hand, nobody would probably raise their hand. Even if you're at home right now, you probably wouldn't raise your hand. No, we have other words, right? I'm not greedy, I'm careful. I'm thrifty. But here's how you know if you're greedy. You know if you're greedy because the people around you, they feel like they always have to compete with your stuff. And they don't feel like they're a priority to you. And neither is your father in heaven. Because you never put him first in your finances or in your possessions. That's the monster of greed. And then here's the third monster, jealousy. And jealousy says this. Jealousy says God owes me. God owes me. God owes me to look like her or to look like him. God owes me to live in the house like that. God owes me to make as much money as them. God gave somebody else what he should have given me. I'm not happy with the way God has treated me. God owes me. And you carry that in your heart. You carry this spirit of comparison with everyone around you. In fact, you don't even like to go on social media because when you see success in people's lives, it just makes you miserable. 
And there are some people that you don't like to be around. And you've got lots of reasons why, but basically it boils down to what you think you're not and what you wish that you could be. And your real issue is not even with those people. The real issue is, is with God because you're not happy with what God has done. God owes me. And so consequently, you feel better when other people have problems. I'm having a great day because Fred wrecked his brand new car. I wanted that car, he got that car, but now he wrecked that car, so I'm feeling better about myself. Today's a great day because she got fired. I wanted that promotion, she beat me out for that promotion, but she made a mistake and she got fired, so today's a great day because she failed. And we just constantly compare ourselves to those around us and we're mad at God because we believe that God owes us. And then number four, anger. Anger says you owe me. You owe me. Anger says, you hurt me. You stole from me. You ruined my reputation. You stole my first marriage. You stole my childhood. You betrayed me. You owe me. You owe me money. You owe me years of my life. You owe me. And I'm gonna hold on to this debt until you pay me back what you owe me. And in most cases, that debt could never be repaid. But you carry around that anger with you in your heart. And guess what? It's justified. You were legitimately wronged. It's a justifiable anger. But you love to tell your sad story and you carry it in your heart and over time it starts to alienate you from other people around you. And it spills out on anybody who even reminds you of somebody who hurt you. And it alienates you from God. It alienates you from the God who sent Jesus to die for your sins and offer you forgiveness because you continue to refuse to forgive others. And here's the deal, church. If you carry any of these four monsters in your heart, or if you carry any combination of these monsters in your heart, over time, it will manifest itself in the things you say and the things you do, and it will hurt and it will alienate the people who matter most to you. It certainly will. Now, the interesting thing is that there's actually a solution for these monsters of the heart, and they're kind of apparent. The solution to guilt is confession. The solution to greed is generosity. It's giving. The solution to jealousy might not be as apparent, but the solution to jealousy is to celebrate the unique creation you are in God and to celebrate the success of people around you. And then the one we're really going to spend this entire series unpacking in much greater detail, the solution to anger is this really powerful word, forgiveness. But the problem with all of these solutions is they require effort. They require work. And they can also be painful at times. It's like the scenario when someone goes in for a physical and they learn from their doctor that they have a heart problem, a physical heart problem that there's something going on, they have a bad heart. And they're like, Doc, what can I do? Help me, Doc. I wanna have many more years ahead of me. And the doc's like, okay, I just want you to know this is a very serious situation, but we can fix your heart. We can do it, we can fix your heart. But you need to start changing your diet. And you need to start taking these medications. And I want you to start exercising regularly. And the guy with the bad heart is like, but doc, I don't like taking medications. I'm, I'm not really good with remembering. And, and I, like, I like 
Big Macs and Pepsi. I, I really do. So are Big Macs and Pepsi part of the diet? Because don't try to take my Big Mac from me or my bacon or my banana split. I need that. And exercise. I can't exercise, Doc. I've got a bad heart. It's really hard to exercise. I mean, I get all sweaty and out of breath. My body jiggles, God. You see that? It's, it's, God knows. My body jiggles. It's, 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 nobody wants to see that, okay? I mean, Doc, have you seen me in spandex? I look like a hippo in spandex, a jiggling hippo in spandex. I can't do it. But God, if you help me get a good heart, if you just fix my body, then I'll start to exercise. I'll be happy to do that. And the doc's like, what? It doesn't work that way. You've got to exercise in order to get healthy so you can have a good heart. And this is the same kind of argument we like to make when it comes to overcoming these monsters of the heart. We feel guilty and we're like, God, I don't like feeling this way. I don't like feeling guilty. It's, it's miserable. And God's like, okay, go confess to the person you harmed and apologize. And we're like, oh, wait a minute, I can't do that. That would be awkward. That would be cringy. I, I don't like cringy. I, I, can't, I can't do that. Can I do some ritual instead just to take the guilt away? Can I say a couple Hail Marys and, and be forgiven? I just don't feel like actually confessing to that person. And God's like, I know confession isn't easy, but when you do it, it's going to change you. And you're going to be less likely to make that bad choice in the future because then you'll know that if you do, you have to go and confess. God, I realize I'm greedy. I don't like that. I know I should, should be a more generous person. God, make me more generous. Change my heart, God. Make me generous. And God's like, okay, start giving. Well, I, I can't do that, Jesus. I'm greedy. I'm, af I'm afraid to do that. So I need you to, to first change my heart. And God's like, I'm working on that. Write a big check and drop it in a box. Okay? That's what's going to change your heart. But God, my hand's going to shake as I write that check. I know. That's because you have a bad heart. Your hand's going to shake all the way to the offering box. But once you do that over time and develop the habit of generosity, it's going to change your heart and it's going to make your heart healthier because that's the way you overcome greed. You practice regular generosity. God, I'm so jealous. I don't like skinny people. Okay. I don't like people with good jobs and nice cars. I hate my brother because he got a brand new house. I don't even want to be around him. It reminds me of who I'm not. God, take this jealousy away from me. Just take it, take it away from me. And God's like, okay, I want you to go see your brother and ask for a tour of his new house and tell him how much you love it. God, didn't you hear me? I can't do that. I don't even want to talk to him. I know that's because your heart is bad. So go to his house and celebrate his success with him and tell him how much you love his house and it's your dream house and that you wish you had it. But God, I want his house to burn to the ground. God's like, that's okay, just go fake it. Because the way you overcome jealousy is you start celebrating the success of people around you. Tell her she looks great in that outfit that you could never fit into. Because celebrating others breaks the power of jealousy in your heart. God, I'm so angry. I'm just an angry person and it's alienating all the people around me. Please free me of my anger. Change my heart, oh God. God's like, okay, then you need to forgive them. I can't forgive them. God, do you know what they did to me? Yeah, I'm God. Oh, that's right. Uh, and by the way, guess what? I forgave you when you didn't deserve it. You remember my son, Jesus? 
Okay, good point, good point. But can't you just take this anger away? Can't you just remove the anger and then I'll become a forgiver? No, the way you overcome anger is you start to forgive. You cancel their debt to you. But God, I don't think it would be sincere. God's like, that's okay. The reason it won't feel sincere is because your heart is sick. But if you start to pursue forgiveness with people in your life, it will start to change your heart. See, we know people who actually do this. There are people in our lives who we've experienced who are so real and so genuine, and they tell you when they screw up, and they apologize, and they're so generous, and they celebrate your success. When something good happens in your life, they're the first person to text you and say, I am so excited for what's going on in your life, and they're quick to forgive people, and they don't hold grudges. Why? Because they have a healthy heart. So to break the hold of these monsters of the heart, we need to start having a new routine with our heart. And we need to get up every day and we need to confess and we need to give and we need to celebrate and we need to forgive. And as you make these things a habit in your life and you begin to surrender your heart to God, that you ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit for him to be first in your life and first in your heart, he begins to sanctify you and change you from the inside out. And people will start to notice the difference in you. And church, this is something that, that Julie and I, we try to teach our kids, you know, while they're still young. We ask them questions. We say, how are you doing? How was your day at school today? How are you feeling? Is there anything you're struggling with? Is there anything you feel guilty about? Is there anybody you're mad at? Because as a parent, if I'm being honest with you guys, I feel like I constantly break promises to them all the time. And it's by accident. I don't even mean to do it. They say, hey, Dad, can we go to Buffalo Wild Wings? And I'll be like, yeah, 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 maybe, yeah, sure, maybe sometime we can do that. I'll think about it. And what my son Jace heard was, Dad promised we're going to Buffalo Wild Wings today. And even though it's an accident, I don't want them holding that in their heart and think, my dad breaks his promises with me all the time. I don't want him carrying that. So let me ask you guys what I ask my kids. Here's our big question today and how we'll kind of land the plane today. How's your heart doing? How's your heart doing? Is your heart okay? Are you carrying around any guilt? Is it easy for you to give? To say, God, you've given everything to me my brain, my body, the planet I live on, all these things you've given to me, God. I'm gonna trust you with my finances. I'm gonna give a percentage back to you. I'm gonna live on less. I'm gonna put margin in my finances. How are you doing when it comes to comparing yourself with others? Comparing your body with others? Comparing your things with others? Can you celebrate the success of people around you? Are you angry at anybody? Have you been angry for so long that it just spills out of your heart on the people around you and you're not even sure where it comes from? And you just have to battle and battle and battle to keep yourself from saying things and doing things and lashing out because it's boiling inside of you just under the surface. See, here's the deal. If you're struggling with a heart problem, you don't have to go through the rest of your life watching what you say and do. 
guarding every word out of your mouth, every behavior, every action, putting up all these filters and struggling to hold them in place. If you would allow your heavenly father who knows your heart better than anyone, access into your wounds, into your scars, to do some heart surgery, you'd be amazed at how he can change you from the inside out. So, if you've been processing all this today and you're like, Pastor, some of what you said this morning, it makes sense, but I'm not sure where I struggle with these monsters of the heart. Let me tell you someone who might know. It's the person closest to you. It's the person you live with. It's the person who knows you best. It's the people who live with you like your husband, or your wife, your kids, your father, your mother, because they catch the overflow of what's coming out of your heart. And one of the best things you can begin to do to start mending your heart is to have a conversation with the people closest to you who love you and say, does it seem to you like I'm struggling with any of these? Am I holding on to guilt? Do you feel like you have to compete with my stuff? Do you feel like I'm always beating myself up and comparing myself with other people? Am I an angry person? One of the most healing things you can ever do in this life is to give somebody access to your heart, someone who loves you, or even someone like a counselor if you're not sure who you could trust in your life. See, if anything I've said today kind of hit a sore spot, like a sunburn, maybe made you cringe a little bit, and think, is it time to go yet? How long is this sermon going on for? That's a big clue. That should be a big red flag to you that there might be an area in your life that God is trying to work on. Because there is freedom that you have never experienced. There's a freedom waiting for you that you have never experienced because you've been trapped with guilt or greed or jealousy or anger and your heavenly father's heart breaks for you. And he wants to do a soul detox on you and change you from the inside out. If, if you'll let him in. There's freedom waiting that's better than anything, anything that you can imagine. When you confess and give and celebrate and forgive, you'll experience a freedom you never knew was possible. No doctor can force you to get your physical heart in shape. Your heavenly father doesn't force you to get your spiritual heart in shape. But if you give him access, he'll change your heart from the inside out and you'll become a new creation, a brand new person in Christ, the person he always intended for you to be. Can we pray together this morning, church, with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heavenly Father, God, I, I know, again, a message like this is going to land in so many different places with all the different people in the room. We've got, we've got middle school students here, and we've got grandparents and great-grandparents in the room, and everything in between. Father God, I pray, as always, you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with this powerful teaching from your son, Jesus. And then, God, you would give us the courage to take action to do something about it. 
God, we don't want to be a group of people who just comes to church every Sunday, checks a box, and then live however we want the rest of the week. No. We want to be people who are sold out for you, who give you access to our heart, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God so that we can have victory over these monsters of the heart, that we can have victory over sin in our lives, that we can be a holy people, a people who are able to overcome guilt with confession, to, to overcome greed with, with generosity, to overcome jealousy by knowing our true identity in you and celebrating the success of people around us and by overcoming our anger with the power of forgiveness. God, I pray that you would help us to do that today. For those who are here this morning and would acknowledge and say, God, if I'm being real right now, I know I struggle with one or more of these. God, I want to have a heart change. And I know it might take work and it might be a little bit painful, God, but, but I'm willing. Will you do heart surgery on me? Would you help me to take the steps I need to to start to get right in this area? If that's you, would you have the courage this morning to just lift a hand and say, would you pray for me? I need prayer. I need to make a change. Praise God. Praise God. I love my church. I'm so, so excited and so honored to be able to pastor a church with real people who are willing to say, I've got a next step to take. God, I thank you for the honesty of the numerous people just now who just lifted a hand and said, God, I got work to do. God, will you honor those decisions today? Would you help them with that next step, Father God, with that person they need to, to go to and, and confess to, Father God, with that habit of generosity they need to build into their life, with that person in their life that they need to, to start celebrating instead of being, being upset with, Father God. Lord, for that grudge they're holding on to, to have the strength to release and to offer forgiveness. God, I know, that, I know that you're gonna honor these decisions today, God, and you're the God of life change, that you're gonna be transforming some people from the inside out into the people you're calling them to be. We love you, God. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. I wanna continue praying for just a moment this morning for the person here who would say, you know, I need a heart change in my life but I know that heart change begins by opening the door to a relationship with God. That if I'm being honest right now, um, I don't have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus. Or I did at one time and I've, I've kind of strayed away. I feel so far, so distant from God. And so today I wanna begin my heart change in this season of Lent, in this season of, of remembering and reflecting on the incredible gift of God's forgiveness, I need to receive that forgiveness today. God, I wanna to acknowledge today that, that I'm not a perfect person, that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need Jesus to be my savior. I need, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I want a new life in you. And so if you're here this morning, if you're watching online right now, and that's you, and God has maybe just been pounding on your heart, even as I've been speaking right now, would you just take five seconds of incredible courage and lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. Would you pray for me? I need Jesus. Would you lift your hand high? Praise God. I see that. I see that. A couple hands in the room. Another. Praise God. Anybody else? I don't want to let this moment slip by because I believe this is the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. Praise God. I see that. Praise God. Another hand. Praise God. 
let me pray for you right now. There's nothing magical about this prayer. You can use your own words. You can just repeat what I say, but this is between you and God right now, speaking from your heart and your mind. Would you say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thanks for meeting me right where I'm at. God, I'm not perfect. I've done a lot of wrong in my life. But today I wanna move my faith off of myself and what I do. I wanna move my faith off of rules and rituals and filters and behavior control. And instead I wanna place it on my savior, Jesus. I believe that Jesus died for me to pay for all my sins. And I believe he rose from the grave, that he is the son of God. And today, God, I wanna turn from the life I've been living and I wanna turn into a personal relationship with you through your son, Jesus. God, I don't even know what that looks like, but I believe that you're gonna walk with me day by day, step by step in this relationship with you for the rest of my life and into eternity. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. I love you with my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Church, can we celebrate the decisions of people this morning? Praise God. I hope that never gets old in our church. I hope it never gets old. I hope that we continue to always be a church that's about life change, about people being real, and about people willing to take next steps. God bless you guys. I love my church. Let's stand together. Let's continue to sing and worship. Celebrate.
you made a decision today to receive Christ or to recommit your life to him, please don't keep that a secret. We want to know about it. Again, you can, you can even put it on one of these thanks for joining us today cards. If you're watching online, you can shoot us an email. It's really just a next step in this process for your entire life of growing in your relationship with God. And we as your church family, we want to walk beside you through that process. So we want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. Please, please, please don't keep that a secret. Let us know. I want to pray with you guys right now as we close. We pray blessings, Father God, upon these, your people today. Again, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what to do with this incredible teaching that your son Jesus taught 2,000 years ago. Father God, give us the wisdom to know how to make the changes in life so that we can move from the smaller story of us to the greater story and the greater future that you have planned for us. God, thank you for being the God who cares enough that you want to do heart surgery on us, that you want to change us, that you want to free us. You want to do a soul detox on us and free us from the monsters of the heart. You're a good God who loves us, and we are so thankful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name today. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week. Can't wait to see you back next week as we continue in part two of Soul Detox. God bless. In all my life, you have been faithful. In all my life, you have been so, so good. With every If you haven't left yet, you want to meet down front as far as a creative person, come on down. We'll get together in just a couple minutes.